welcome back football fans and degenerate gamblers. Great to have you here again for what I hope will be an action-packed edition of Third Down Gamble, the CFL betting podcast. I'm your host, Kyle McMahon. Hope you had a great weekend football-wise and betting-wise and are rearing and ready to go for a full slate of games this week as we embark on week 15 of the CFL season. I'll take a moment here to remind you that, once again, you can get in touch by following along on Twitter at KDrive88, that's K-D-R-I-V-E-88, or by visiting firstlinepicks.com. Alright, I'm going to break format this week and actually divide this thing up into two separate episodes. So what I'm going to do here is review the Calgary-Hamilton game from last Saturday, as both those teams will be in action on Friday night. And then preview those two Friday night matchups, which will feature Calgary visiting Toronto and Hamilton heading up the road to Edmonton, with both the Argonauts and Eskimos coming back from a bye week. Then sometime on Friday, which is tomorrow, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, I'll drop the second half of this week's show previewing Winnipeg's visit to Montreal, as well as the Lions-Red Blacks rematch that I'm sure everyone is already getting excited about. The official reason for this is to allow for the game rosters for the Saturday games to be announced and evaluated before I release the episode, and the less official reason is that I'm just really damn busy this week and could use a bit of extra time to get this thing signed, sealed, and delivered. But we'll see how that goes, and if it proves beneficial to split the weekly installment into two parts, that might be something I do more often going forward. So anyway, Calgary-Hamilton from last Saturday. Uh, We liked the Tiger Cats getting nearly a touchdown coming into that game, and it looked for the longest time like they were going to come away with the outright win. But alas for the Tabbies, as we've seen so often over the years, Calgary was able to sit back and wait for their opponent to make the critical mistakes, and when the dust settled, it was the Stamps walking away with a one-point victory. Call it luck, call it guile, call it veteran savvy, call it whatever you want. It's just what this team seems to be able to do year in and year out. And the Stamps at 8-4 and four are now safely clear of the 4th place Eskimos and have their sights set on top spot in the Western Division. Hamilton would have certainly loved to break a 14-year jinx in Cowtown, but at 9-3 and three on the season, they're still pretty comfortably in 1st place in the East after Montreal came up short in Saskatchewan and failed to gain any ground. Turnovers had been the one main blemish on this Tiger Cats offense in recent weeks, but they'd gotten away with it against the likes of Ottawa, Toronto, and BC. They probably would have gotten away with it against the Stamps as well, if not for Trey Roberson making one of the more spectacular plays you'll ever see in in blocking what would have been the go-ahead field goal with about a minute left. A blocked field goal is a rarity to begin with, and usually if it does happen, it involves a wobbly snap that disrupts the kicker's timing, and even then it's usually a case of somebody just managing to get their fingertips on it. Roberson jumped so high in blocking this kick that the ball actually hit him at elbow level, which is just an insane display of athletic ability, and there's there's really no defense against that from the Hamilton perspective. But this was just the last of a handful of of Hamilton drives that penetrated the Calgary side of the field but failed to generate any points. Without going back to count, I want to say that the Tiger Cats had a first down on the Stampeder half of the field five times in the second half, which makes it all the more remarkable that their final point in this ballgame came on the opening kickoff of the second half as the Stamps conceded a single point in their end zone. This offense moved the ball at will for most of the afternoon, grading 63% successful over the course of the game, which actually tied them for the third highest offensive efficiency grade of the entire season. 
The other three instances this year where somebody hit that mark or exceeded it were all blowout wins for that team. So that puts in perspective just uh, a little uh, how badly Hamilton managed to shoot themselves in the foot at, at critical moments to only end up with 18 points in this football game. You go back through the game and Dane Evans basically made three bad plays the whole afternoon, but boy were those costly. Being stripped of the ball on his own half of the field, getting picked off in the end zone to take points off the board, and taking a sack on a second down play with Hamilton on the edge of field goal range. And then throw in a Brandon Banks fumble on an attempted gadget play inside the Stampeder 40-yard line that took more points off the board and You've basically got the story of the game right there. You have to think if even a single one of those turnovers is avoided, Hamilton likely wins the game. Contrast that with the Stampeders, who also moved the ball fairly well in this game and stalled in the red zone a couple of times themselves, but crucially did not commit a turnover. For the third straight game, we saw Bole Ivai Mitchell stand in the pocket all afternoon, virtually untouched by the pass rush. Just another phenomenal job by the Stampeders' offensive line and pass protection. And the few times things did break down, the ball was out of there before any damage could occur. Now I will say he got away with a couple of ill-advised tosses that bounced right off the mitts of Hamilton defenders early in the game that could certainly have impacted the outcome if, if they'd been able to come up with those picks. But at the end of the day, a, a very clean game from the Stampeders offense, which didn't do anything spectacular but didn't make any mistakes. So with that said, we'll slide on into this week's action, which gets going on Friday night with a doubleheader. Uh, Calgary paying a visit to Toronto to get things started. Stampeders are six and a half point favorites at the moment, uh, with the odds seven on the board as well. The Argos come into this game off a of bye week, and they managed to build a little momentum before getting last week off with a big win over Ottawa. It's hard to really say anything is at stake here for the Boatmen, who sit four wins out of a playoff spot with just seven games left to play, but sometimes we see these teams without any pressure on them go out and perform well without the yoke of expectation weighing them down, and I don't get the impression that they've checked out yet, so I'm expecting a full effort out of Toronto here. The question is, what does a full effort get you against a Stampeders team that has won three games in a row and can now smell first place in the West? Well, it's reasonably safe to say that the Argos' chances here rest firmly on the arm of quarterback McLeod Bethel-Thompson. Toronto has been the most pass-happy team in the CFL for pretty much the entire year, and unlike the first six or seven weeks of the season, they're actually finding some success with this approach. The Darrell Walker that we saw perform at an elite level in Edmonton in recent years has reappeared in September, and they'll be looking to keep him rolling and add to the nearly 300 receiving yards he's put up over the last two contests. And the old veteran S.J. Green has also found new life after a very quiet first half of the season, and he's averaging six and a half catches per game over the last five. So we pretty well know Toronto's going to look for the downfield strikes early and often here, and, and they actually connected on a decent number of those against this Calgary defense way back in week six. But more importantly, they absolutely killed themselves with turnovers in that game. I believe the final tally was seven and were dealt the loss despite outperforming the Stampeders on both sides of the ball in terms of efficiency. So I'm sure the thought among the coaching staff is that if they just avoid coughing up the ball multiple times, they should have some success here and give themselves a shot to win the game. But as we saw last week, this Stampeders defense finds a way to create those turnovers, so this is easier said than done. It'll also be interesting to see what kind of impact this Calgary defensive line can have here. 
Their last three games have been against a couple of pretty stout offensive lines, though they generated some very good pressure against the Eskimos back on Labor Day. Toronto's offensive line isn't at the level of Hamilton or Edmonton, so I, I think we potentially see more of a pass rush here out of the Stamps, and Cordero Law looks like he might be heating up again, now up to eight sacks on the year. So that's a guy the Argos will have their hands full with. I haven't talked a whole lot about this Calgary D-line this year. I would say workmanlike probably best describes their play for the most part. They've shown a little bit of vulnerability against the run in the middle third of the season after being pretty tough to run against in the early going, but I really don't foresee a scenario where Toronto attempts that many carries in this game regardless. No new names on the or no new news on the James Wilder front. I'd have to assume at this point he isn't going anywhere. Those trade rumors seem to have died down, and honestly I doubt there was a whole lot of interest around the rest of the league anyways. The Argos did add defensive back Jonathan Mincy to their practice roster this week, and you have to think he'll be in the lineup in short order. Mincy was an all-star a couple years ago with the Alouettes before spending last season plus this year's training camp on the Chicago Bears practice roster. If Mincy can quickly get reacquainted with the CFL, he'll be a big boost to a secondary that's been a disaster. Heck, even if he's guessing out there in the early going, it might still be an upgrade. Probably not something that will pay dividends this week, though, and, and that's bad news going up against the quarterback many would call the most accurate in the league. This unit has been carved up by Trevor Harris, Vernon Adams, and Dane Evans, and even Jonathan Jennings somehow managed to hang nearly 400 yards on them two weeks ago, even with Toronto winning that game going away. Receiver Eric Rogers finally seems to be back looking like the player he was years ago before his NFL stint, and Reggie Bagleton continues his ascent to one of the premier receivers in this league, so I'm not liking the Argo defense's chances of keeping either of those guys contained. Keep an eye on linebacker Bear Woods, though. He had a really nice season debut before the bye week, but we'll see what he looks like against an offense not named the Red Blacks. So the lines remained at 6.5 as we get closer to kickoff, and I'd imagine we see some casual money come in on the Stampeders late, you know, giving up less than a touchdown. I'm not racing to the book at that number, but I'd have a very tough time backing Toronto specifically. With the way the offense has moved the ball of late, it's it's easy to forget just how bad this defense performed in, in all the games that preceded the win over Ottawa. I think we we very well could see McLeod Bethel Thompson replicate the simil, you know a similar level of success that Dane Evans had last week and and quite likely uh you know leads to a point total well into the twenties, but I'm just not confident that anything less than thirty is gonna get it done on Friday. My hesitation on the Calgary side is is partly driven by the fact that they essentially haven't traveled in six weeks. They've had three home games, a bye week, and a road game in Edmonton in, in the month leading up to this game, so possibly some jet lag that they're not accustomed to. The other reason would be the Stamps tending to sag a little bit against some weaker teams this year. They actually needed some late heroics to beat both Ottawa and BC earlier in the season, and, and they could have certainly lost to this Argonaut team in July if, uh, if the men in blue could have held on to a few footballs. Whether they're actively thinking about it or not, this, this is a Calgary team that, that knows they can often win football games by putting their foot on the gas when they need to in the fourth quarter, and seeing Toronto take a lead into halftime wouldn't exactly be surprising. But much like it has been in recent weeks, I, I think going over on the total is a rather attractive bet for, for as long as it stays below 55. 
We're seeing this tick upwards. Some 52.5s were available shortly after the open. We're now getting up to 54 at some shops, so hopefully you got on it early. But even at the present number, which which seems to be about 53.5, is probably the most common number out there right now. Uh, you know, I think it's still a decent play. Unless the Stampeders are committing turnovers that take points off the board, I don't see them staying under 30 with, with Bo Levi airing it out against that secondary. And the Argonauts themselves are, are more than capable of replicating the 20-plus the point outings they, they had against the Tiger Cats and the Alouettes, you know, even if they fall short of the 40-plus they, they hung on Ottawa. I think I'd probably set the over-under on pass attempts north of 80 in this game. Uh, so it's this is one that could, could potentially turn into a shootout, I think. While the Argos and the Stamps are hopefully racking up the points, the Eskimos will be honoring a legend at Commonwealth Stadium as Ricky Ray's number 15 will join the Wall of Honor before his former team takes on the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Occupying the position Ray played for nine seasons as an Eskimo will be backup Logan Kilgore making his first start in the green and gold. Trevor Harris has been placed on the one-game injured list due to an arm injury that knocked him out of the game two weeks ago. It turns out this is something he's been dealing with for a little while and, and playing through, but aggravated the injury to the point that he couldn't continue against Calgary. As you might expect, the Eskimos haven't been particularly forthcoming with speci with specifics, uh, but I get the vibe listening to both Harris and Jason Moss speak post-practice on Wednesday, uh, is that this is probably something that could linger for an extended period of time, and it'll come down to managing the swelling and the bruising on a week-to-week -week basis. Logan Kilgore has limited CFL game reps, but he did look capable coming off the bench mid-game against Calgary, which was his first game action in three years, which surprised me. I, th I thought he'd at least got some garbage time reps, uh, you know, in Toronto, where, where he spent a couple of seasons since then. Uh, but he, he showed enough that I don't think you, you should be outright concerned having to start him, but Harris has feasted on the Tiger Cats throughout his career for whatever reason, and not having him under center definitely projects to be a step down. One area where the Eskimos have no shortage of capable bodies would be the defensive line, which they potentially bolstered further with a couple new additions during their bye week, they being Matthew Betts and Stephen Charles. Both these guys were former CFL draft picks attempting to catch on in the NFL, or, or in the case of Charles, managing to stay employed down there for several years, moving between a few different organizations. I don't see any of the current incumbents on the defensive line giving way immediately, but having two guys with very solid pedigrees brought in during a three-game losing streak should have anyone on high alert, and I can't help but think there's some internal pressure now for this unit to return to their first-half form where few opposing offensive lines had much of an answer for them. The sacks have dried up and the explosive plays given up when the pressure doesn't get home have, have started to present themselves for this defense, but I, I thought they did a did have a fairly decent performance two weeks ago in a losing effort, and they, they did end up grading successful on nearly 60% of their snaps. If this defense can get back to the, the form they were showing a few weeks ago, Edmonton should be able to start winning some games again, but this is another high-powered offense knocking on the door, and I really can't see them trying to get away with single coverage on Brandon Banks or, or Braylon Addison unless that defensive line is able to get in Dane Evans' face quickly. Hamilton's offensive line has a good sack prevention rate, and they, they are excellent run blockers, so this should be a pretty solid battle between two good fronts. 
I think we were all expecting to see a bit more of Jackson Bennett running the ball for Hamilton last time out, but they seem to favor a running back by committee approach and all of Jackson, Anthony Coombs, plus receivers Banks and Addison saw carries. Beyond Kadeem Carey's big outing against them on Labor Day, the Eskimos have played the run very well for the most part. If they're able to avoid overcommitting on the edge and sniff out some of the jet sweeps and reverses the Tiger Cats run regularly, they're going to set themselves up for success. When Hamilton can't establish decent success running the ball on first downs is when, when their offense has run into a little bit of trouble over the course of the year. Edmonton has defended extremely well in no one passing situations this season, so it's key for Dane Evans to keep this offense on schedule and, and avoid having to play catch-up with the sticks. On the injury front, Forrest Hightower is, is going to be back at defensive half for the Eskimos, definitely a welcome presence. I would have expected, uh, you know, penalty risk Money Hunter to be relegated to the bench in, in lieu of Hightower coming back in, but... Uh, it looks like it's it's Taekwon Glass coming out of the lineup, so uh, just a small lineup note there. On the Hamilton side, uh, their defense has had their hands full with the Argonauts and the Stampeders in their last two appearances, but but they've been up to the challenge, and after a, a rough first half back on Labor Day, they've they've only given up a single touchdown and, and 22 points overall in their last six quarters. Regardless of who's playing quarterback for Edmonton, this isn't an offense that should scare anybody right now, and, and certainly not a Ticat unit that has been consistently very good from training camp onwards. This is one of those defenses that, that probably isn't the best at any one particular aspect, but they're very good at a lot of different things. And, and other than that game against the Lions back in August where they gave up 35 points, there's really not been any other game in the last two months where, where you'd come away disappointed with what they delivered at the end of 60 minutes. The Eskimos offensive line has been strong enough throughout the season that you can probably be confident enough in their ability to deal with guys like Simone Lawrence and Ted Laurent, two guys that incidentally were Eskimos property once upon a time. But the matchup of, of Edmonton's group of receivers against the playmakers Hamilton is sporting in the secondary is an area where you'd have to give the Cats a sizable edge. Edmonton has been criticized in recent weeks for the vanilla play calling and the unwillingness to stretch the field often enough. In retrospect, Trevor Harris's arm issues probably played a role in that, but I'd be surprised if, if all of a sudden they, they start looking for the deep ball with, with Kilgore back there in his first start. This Hamilton crew just hasn't been a defense where guys are out there missing tackles on a regular basis, and when you're running the dink and dunk offense that the Eskimos have the last three weeks, you're relying on your receivers making the first man miss on the hitches and the quick hooks. That hasn't happened, and it's it's crippled this offense once they get down inside the red zone and the coverage clamps down. And this defense in particular isn't one you're likely to buck that trend against. The absence of, of Delvin Bro from, from Hamilton's secondary, a, a guy who probably would have been a lot of analysts' pick as, as the top coverage defensive back in the entire league coming into this season, has been one of the least talked about major injuries since he went down in early August. And the reason for that has simply been the play of the other guys back there. Cariel Brooks is a player I've, I've thought has put together a very solid season. Rico Murray, one of one of the many guys the Red Blacks let walk away this, this past offseason, has, has had a nice run recently. And Jamal Roll, uh, a guy in his second season in the league, is, is really coming in, into his own as well back there. So the announcement that Harris was indeed out just dropped uh, on Thursday afternoon, which which was a few hours before uh, before the present moment. We haven't seen any lines yet in any of the major books. 
it looks like this might have opened at Hamilton minus two and a half at some casinos in Las Vegas, though, which should be a reasonable gauge for, for where it lands elsewhere. My number for this game with Kilgore getting the start was around minus four, four and a half for the Tiger Cats. At less than a field goal, if if that is indeed the number we see at the online books that I'm I'm sure we're all using, I, I think the visitors are very attractive. They stayed out west after playing in Calgary on Saturday, so the travel isn't a concern, and, and now they don't have to worry about facing a quarterback who generally got the better of them in, in head-to-head meetings in recent years. With the game-to-game consistency this defense is showing, I'd be really surprised if Edmonton pushes much past 20 points here. How Kilgore is going to execute after barely playing the last three years is, is an open question, and this isn't an ideal secondary to be passing against on your maiden voyage. I do think the Eskimos getting two weeks to prepare defensively for the wrinkles Hamilton is going to throw at them is going to help, and they, they should keep this game in reach. But after having that frustrating loss in Calgary hanging over them this week, I, I think we see the Tiger Cats uh, very focused on making one or two less mistakes, and they, they find it in them to probably win this game by at least a field goal. I haven't seen any totals released anywhere yet. I would think 49 maybe, give or take a point, is, is probably where that comes in. So if it differs significantly from, from that estimate either way, potentially some value to be had there. Uh, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see on that. Okay, so that will wrap up the first part of this week's show. I guess we can go ahead and do a best bet here. If, if indeed Hamilton minus 2.5 becomes widely available, that's, that's one I'd jump on. But, but if not, you, you know by now I'm on the over in Calgary, Toronto, and it appears uh, you know, still, to still be sitting at a, a playable 53.5. One note I'm just seeing here right now is that Reggie Bagleton and Corey Greenwood are both going to be absent for Calgary on Friday night. So two fairly significant losses there. Still not enough for me to endorse the Argos side at, at six and a half, but those guys both being out would would definitely push me off Calgary if, if I was on the fence about it. Okay, so I should have part two of the show up sometime tomorrow evening, tomorrow being Friday, after the lineups have been announced. Until then, get those bets down for Friday night. Best of luck to everybody, and remember to follow along on Twitter at KDrive88 for all the latest betting-related updates. Bye for now.